The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Ecclesia, it really is a delight to see your faces, or at least part of your faces, or at least your eyes, and to be able to have uh, a time in a really busy world that we slow, slowly contemplate. What is it that God would have for us? We're in the second week of Advent, and if you've been around Ecclesia for a while, you may know a bit of the story uh, that Advent is now a season that I love as a pastor, but it was not always. Uh, that kind of season. About 15 years ago, uh, we decided to reimagine the way that we would celebrate this season. And, and it was born out of a place that I was with some pastor friends and in a really honest moment. Uh, because I love Jesus and my pastor friends and I are willing to go uh, to foreign countries that are challenging and difficult. Uh, we were gathered together in the Bahamas and in, in that place of uh, sacrificial love, uh, we uh, were suffering for Jesus on a boat, and as we sat on that boat, surrounded by beauty, uh, we were doing what pastors do, which is mostly complain about all of you, actually not, <laughs> not exactly you, but the dynamic that's created uh, with us together, that we're going, life is not what we want it to be, and how do we lead, and we just, when we're together, we have these really honest moments, and literally, one of my good friends, Rick McKinley, uttered words that really changed the course of our church, and hopefully many of your spiritual journeys. And Rick just really simply said, you know what I hate? I hate Christmas. And that sounds awful if you are like, you know, sounds like he's Scrooge, but if you're a pastor, you understood exactly what he was saying. That we live in a season that we're supposed to worship Jesus with our whole hearts, that we're celebrating the birth of one who came to turn the world upside down and show us what really mattered. And simultaneously, we were focusing on all the things that didn't matter. Literally, families in our congregations were digging deeper into the debt and focusing on materialism in a season where Jesus came to say, you're actually free from all of that. We're actually investing more deeply in what I would describe as Herod's empire, this evil empire, rather than the kingdom of God where everyone has enough and where we share generously with what we've been given. And when you're a pastor and you're getting up in front of people and you feel like you're Snoopy's teacher, and it's just meh, 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 nobody's listening to a word I'm saying. Right? And as a pastor, you just think, I'm done. Like, I don't wanna do that anymore. And literally, on the boat, over some really good aged rum, we sat for about an hour and tried to figure out what would it look like to go back to our churches with a prophetic word that would invite a different response. And about that hour, we came up with these four things that we said, if we went back to our people and we just said, hey, Advent and the Christmas season about worship, and if you don't worship Jesus, you're missing it all. And out of worship, worship could lead us to spend less, to give more and to love all people. And about 15 years ago, we came back and said, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna lead our churches in that direction. And I will tell you, I have gone from a pastor that used to hate preaching to you in this season, in part because we were investing in the wrong things and in part because many of you just were not present. And I can tell you now, there's some of you, even the last service, it was like they were either on their phones or they were in a different place, in part because the whole world seems to be picking up the pace right now. You remember if you're a musician, what it was like to play with a metronome, right? And it feels like as we enter this season that the metronome goes from this to this. And it just feels like it's a ticking time bomb that's ready to explode. 
And the closer you get to the Galleria, the more it's likely to explode. <laughs> Literally, you can feel, you get on Westheimer just like, oh my gosh, the metronome is ticking away. And instead, we believe that Advent is a season. If you can't do it, anybody else, look at your calendar this week and just go, this doesn't work. Like, I got, there's just too many things there. Anybody or just me? How many of you will never raise your hand no matter what question I ask? <laughs> How many human beings do we have with us today? If you're a human being, would you raise your hand? We're about 20% human here today, about 20%. So that's the survey ratio for the pastor. We, we live in a day that things are getting so dialed up that you can just feel it simmer to a boil. And my job, if I'm to take it seriously, is to invite you to slow that down and to release the noise and at least for the next 20 minutes, would you join me in asking a question of like, what is it that really matters? As Ecclesians, we have some rhythms and probably next year we'll teach on all of them. I'll remind you of all of them. But one of them is that we would be a people that seek beauty. What we've said is that there's beauty all around you, you just miss it. And what we wanna do is be a people that when we see it, what I've invited you to say at least twice a week, you have these snapshots, you see something beautiful and you focus on it. You could literally take a photo of it or you take a photo of it in your mind, you say, I'm gonna focus on that because the more you think about it, the more your, your heart will be uplifted and you'll be drawn closer to God because our human tendencies are the opposite, right? For most of us, we focus on the negative. In fact, your phone's pretty good evidence of it. Some of you are getting constant alerts of news and it's never like an amazing thing happened in the world, right? It's like a father burned down his house and everyone's in it, right? That's the thing, and it comes up over and over and over and over again. And personally, we're very much the same. You could get a hundred compliments and you hold on to the one negative thing that somebody said to you. Anybody else like that? You're not gonna raise your hand anyway, I don't know why I'm asking. Good, good. And you can hold it so, and so this is what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to think about what your two moments were this week. What were two moments of beauty? And I'll set you up while you're thinking about it to tell you that the moments of beauty for me I've noticed recently often come around generosity. And it can be a generosity of kindness. It can be an act of generosity. <laughs> I had a friend post this week a great story. She was in a restaurant and, uh, and there was an old man that uh, got up from the table and he didn't have his wallet and he said to the waitress like I'm gonna go out to my car and get my wallet and come back in and pay you and she thought I'll pay for his meal like while he's gone it'll be really nice and she couldn't wait for him to come back in and find out that she had paid for his meal and come to find out like he never came back in it was a scam he was walking out on the bill the whole time so she paid for it but it was just that I was like I wanted to have this generous moment and she just supported a con man basically so um, but but often our moments of pain and sorrow and ugliness, right, are the opposite. They're where we hold on too tight. It's where we're, we become greedy with what we have, where we realize we, ha we have food that other people don't have. In this season, right, this reality, there are vaccines in our country that are expiring while the rest of the world is saying like, we want that, we need that, and we have extra 
One of the most painful criticisms I ever received. I always knew when I would travel to places of extreme poverty that somebody may have heard like stories of our extravagance, right? They've watched like, you know, seen a glimpse of rich, lifestyles of the rich and famous or something. And, and I remember in Liberia, this woman said, you know what, I just don't know how, how to handle what I hear about you Americans, right? And I was ready for a, you know, strong stinging critique of like, the excess of the things you buy at Neiman Marcus or something, right? And, and she said, I just can never wrap my head around a people that would flush their toilets with clean water. I just can't, like I can't grasp it, right? Like why would you, why would you do that? And I've heard the critique now many times over, right? And they just think like something that's so precious that we would value and you just think nothing of it and you wash your waist down the toilet with it. And so I wonder, Ecclesia today, what moment have you seen over the course of this week that speaks to generosity and beauty and hope and love, something that captures you and you're reminded of the beauty of this world? So I'm giving you 30 seconds, turn to somebody next to you and give them the quick overview. If you don't get it out, I'm gonna cut you off at some point, but turn to somebody and tell you something beautiful you witnessed this week, go. Your gifts? Your favorite gift? All right, you got about 15 more seconds. If you're not telling someone, be thinking about it, at least so it's in your head. All right, I'm gonna cut you off and now you can actually share with me. So, and if you're midstream, it gives you a moment to grab somebody after this and share the rest of it with them. But just around the room, let's start over here. Somebody over here, a moment of beauty, something you saw this week that was beautiful. Share it with us. Somebody over in this section. Yes. Her birthday party. It's his birthday. Oh, Christian invited you to his birthday. Isn't it great when somebody includes you? Isn't that such a sweet feeling? Anybody here also felt included this week? That feels really, really good. Thank you. That's a really beautiful one. Somebody over here. Beautiful. Something beautiful. Anything. Yes. Oh, that's the best. Oh, it's a secret. Getting to share the gender of their baby with her husband. That is a beautiful moment. Something for me, I'm one of these I'd like to know people. Something for me when our babies were in the utero, they went from being baby to like, if I knew their gender, I could almost imagine them a little bit, right? We'd start to name them and something beautiful would happen. We're praying for that. We got a lot of babies in utero and in the room and it's a gift. Somebody over here, something beautiful. Yes. Oh, that's the best. 
Her two daughters pampered her with love and kindness. Isn't that the best? That is truly. She's pregnant. She's pregnant and she's crying. And now we're all looking at her and we're soaking it in. Oh, it's so good. The hormones are rife with beauty. It's great. I love it. Somebody over here, something beautiful. Yes. Wow. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. A new Christian friend that has the opportunity to love a friend who's dying in hospice and is ready to, to be that person, to hold her hand and be with her in the end. That is, it's a privilege and it's hard, right? So just hear me. You had a bunch more in the room. All of these things are gifts from God. This kindness that comes through the Spirit right? That this love from our, our kids that actually are willing to roll reverse with us and take care of us for a moment. And as parents, if you know what that feels like, even for a minute, it is beautiful, right? The gift of being able to find out the gender of the baby that God has given us, the ability to feel included, right? Whether you're a kid or you're an adult and somebody invited you to a party, they invited you to dinner. All of these things are a gift from God. And when we focus on them, it's an opportunity to do what we're made to do. And we were created, Ecclesia, to worship God, to acknowledge that the one who made everything is more powerful and beautiful and good than we are, and that we want to connect in relationship with God. So I want to read you one of my favorite passages that is an example of what worship really looks like. It's in John chapter 12, and it's happening just in the days before Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is headed towards his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is what it tells us in John chapter 12, that six days before the Passover feast, Jesus journeyed to the village of Bethany, a little town outside of Jerusalem, kind of a suburb. And he went to the home of Lazarus, who had recently been raised from the dead, where they hosted him for dinner. Now, pause with me for a minute. I'm in a season right now where God's just blessed me. I've gone from a season that was hard to a season that's really good. And almost every day, every dinner that I schedule, if you ever schedule a reservation on open table, it'll ask you, like, what are you celebrating? And now I fill it in every day, like, life, love. Health, beauty. I'm just like, I fill it in. Like the waiter's like, I see you're here today to celebrate health. And I'm like, yes, I am. You're here to celebrate love. Yes, I am. I'm here to celebrate peace and calm and beauty. And every day's a day to celebrate. I'm just gotta tell you, that's the life of faith. And some of us are not in a season of celebration and know that we're walking with you in that pain too. But can you imagine you're scheduling a meal for Jesus He's coming over, and the last thing he did for you was raise you from the dead. Like, what do you serve? <laughs> like, it's not a day for just quesadillas, right? Like, you're getting the best lomo you can get, the best chorizo you can find. You're going to make the homemade chimichurri. You're going to do everything you can do to make that meal amazing because Jesus raised you from the dead. So know that whatever's happening here, the food that's being served is over the top. I mean, this is a party. This is one you want to be a part of. So they're having a feast. Jesus is back in their home recently after he raised Lazarus from the dead. And it tells us 
They hosted him for dinner and Martha was busy serving as the hostess. Now you'll hear some sermons where they go, do you wanna be Mary or Martha? And I'll just tell you, God loves both. If you're the person in the kitchen, busting it for everybody else to have a great meal, I was that person recently at Thanksgiving, right? If you're that person, like God loves you, right? And that is a gift. Like there is, at times there's no greater joy than feeding people, feeding people that appreciate it. I'll just tell you that. If you're feeding people that don't, if somebody complains about your meal, you're most prone to violence in that moment. Anybody else like, (laughs) do you know what I just did for you? Like, that could use more salt. Like, we'll put some salt on it, joker. Like, (laughs) I made it for you, right? But when you get this like, oh, that is so good. Thank you so much, right? And Martha was worshiping Jesus by giving Jesus the best food. So no. Martha loved Jesus, and that was her way to express her love. Mary expressed it in a different way. They were both worshiping. Mary, on the other hand, it tells us Lazarus was reclined at the table with Jesus. They would sit on the floor, right? And they would literally just lean and lay and talk, and meals were extended for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And Mary, it tells us, took a pound. Now hear this, a pound of fine ointment pure nard. So let me tell you about nard for a minute. Nard uh, is an essential oil. Anybody here super into essential oils? Okay, we have one, two. They're broke. All these people are broke, by the way, because <laughs> it's super expensive. You go to one of these parties, they're like, we'll give you something that'll cure your headache. And then you have a headache from how much money you spent on the oil that's going to help you not have a headache, right? They're just super expensive. And and this nard was like the most expensive of the expensive. So it only comes from a flower that can grow in the top of the Himalayas. So somebody to get that flower and extract the oil had to go up to the top of the Himalayas. They would get that oil. They'd get a drop out of every flower maybe, right? So imagine a drop out of every flower from the Himalayas and she's got a pound of it. It's a lot. This was likely her business. So... She ran like an essential oil club. She would have one of those little parties. She would call people over and they would buy a little tincture of this oil, which was not just to smell good. Sometimes the Bible will call it a perfume. It wasn't just a perfume. It it was medicine. It was calming. It was, and this oil was seen as this potent one that could cure almost anything. One of the things that people needed curing from and they couldn't go to Walgreens was that it would fix some stomach problems, right? So it was like the ancient version of Gas-X, right? And if you've ever needed Gas-X, you'd be like, it really helps, I'd pay whatever for Gas-X, right? Nobody else has that problem. Nobody's raising their hand to that one. <laughs> Just the pastor, like, well, I don't know what Gas-X is. I've never had gas before, <laughs> pastor. Like, yes, you have. And one of you just had it a few moments ago. So <laughs> I'm just kidding, that was over the top. Um, all that to say, this oil was really, really valuable, really valuable. It was her livelihood, quite likely. It was her life savings, quite likely. And Mary came and she took this pound of oil, the scriptures tell us. It's both rare and expensive. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it. She literally, the scriptures, she just broke the jar and poured it out. And here in this room, likely a small room, Jesus' feet are covered with this fragrant oil. Then she takes her hair 
and she wipes his feet with it. Now, Mary loved her brother, and Mary saw Jesus bring her brother back from the dead, and Mary was longing for a way to tell Jesus, like, I love you so much. I love you so much. Martha was doing the same. Martha was saying, I can do it in the chimichurri and in the sausage and in the lamb pops. And anybody that doesn't eat lamb, right, is just missing out, just so you know. Like God made lamb for us to eat. You think they're cute, but they're delicious is what they are. <laughs> and, and literally, they're both. And, and this is what I want to invite you to ask during Advent. Like, would you ask the same question? Like, if you wanted to tell Jesus, Jesus, I love you so much, how would you do it? What would you do? Because this is the thing about worship. Worship is not just what we did when we sang and we tell God, like, God, I really love you. It ought to be both adoration and action. Like, if you're in a great relationship with somebody and they adore you, which is a gift, by the way, and they're just like, you're amazing and I love you, they also will do things like sh to show you that they love you, right? They'll make you coffee. They'll make you a meal. Sometimes even clean up behind you, right? That's what we do, kids, for you, because we love you. We wouldn't wash anybody else's dishes, but we wash yours, because we love you. We, at, at least we adore you and tell you, and we act on it. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, during Advent, this is the season to worship. If you wanted to tell Jesus how much you love him, what would you do? What would you say, and what would you do? The scriptures go on and tell us this that that pleasant fragrance of this extravagant ointment filled the entire house. Now what we know is that it gave Jesus great joy, but Judas wasn't happy about it. It tells us Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was plotting to betray Jesus began to speak. Now what you may find, if you extravagantly love Jesus, people that are not exactly loving Jesus may feel either convicted or bothered or something. They may not be totally into your sacrifice. But I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, if you wanna worship Jesus in this season, if you wanna give, our kids figured this out with Advent Conspiracy a long time ago, right? We just asked them, like, if you had a birthday party and everybody gave each other gifts and nobody gave you gifts and it was your birthday, like, how would you feel? And kids were like, I'd be furious, right? Like, it's my birthday party, and I ought to get the gifts, right? And I, I feel like Jesus must be some years like, do you guys forget whose birthday it is? And in Matthew, Jesus tells us really clearly, like, if you want to give me a gift, this is how you do it. Find the poor, find the thirsty, find those that are in prison. Visit them. Give them water. Give them food. Clothe them. If you do it to them, you've done it to me. And so Christmas ought to be a season. And it's the reason that we gather an Advent offering, that we do what we're made to do. And what we know is that Judas didn't like that. And Judas said, how could she pour out this vast amount of fine oil? Why didn't she sell it? It's worth nearly a year's wages. We don't know exactly today, but it might be 30, 40, 50, $60,000 worth of oil. She just poured it out. The money could have been given to the poor. And the scriptures tell us that this had nothing to do with Judas' desire to help the poor. The truth is he served as the treasurer and he helped himself to money from the common pot at every opportunity. This was a, a statement of greed from Judas. And Jesus said this, and I wanna focus on this as we go. Jesus defended Mary and this is what he said, leave her alone. And he gave three reasons. He says, she's observed this custom in anticipation of the day of my burial. He's giving him a hint. 
The poor are ever present, but I will be leaving. Let me take them in reverse order with you really quick and just contemplate. The first, he basically says, I'm here. Like, my presence ought to invite some response from you. Now, I gotta remind you as well, as we love and serve people, it is important. Jesus was saying in this context, I'm physically present, right? And I was reminded this week that we gotta love those people that are physically present with us because they may not always be with us. This week, our church and I personally and many of you experienced a deep and profound loss. One of my favorite Ecclesians uh, passed away suddenly on Wednesday. Uh, Sam Wood would normally be here in this service. He would be sitting right over here in this row. In fact, nobody's in his seat that he would normally be in. And uh, Sam was bigger than life. And Sam uh, was in the middle of doing a Zoom, uh, doing a financial report for the board and his investors and, um, and had a massive heart attack and died at home on Wednesday. Now, Sam and I had a special bond. We had a bunch of them just because he's one of the most lovable guys you'll ever meet. He and his wife, Elizabeth, traveled to the Holy Land with me. Sam and I shared the exact same birthday. We were born within hours of each other. We called ourselves birthday brothers. In fact, just before the two of us turned 50, we had a long conversation about the places we wanted to travel together. And I'm really broken this week. In fact, I wasn't sure how well I would preach for you today because I'm still in shock that we don't have Sam. I personally wish uh, I would have followed up on a few things I wanted to do with him. There's some restaurants that I wanted to eat with him at. Uh, some things that I wanted to do, and we don't get to do that. Who, whoever is physically present with you, will you live in the moment this holiday season and treat it as though it might be your last? Sam's father was getting treatment at MD Anderson, and this Thanksgiving, uh, he had already told me, like, I'm, we're treating this Thanksgiving like it'll be his last, and we're just going to go all out, you know, have the best Thanksgiving ever. And uh, it's really sad to me that next Saturday we will be burying Sam, uh, while his father is present, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't have been that way. Uh, this is what we need to know as well in faith, that Jesus was physically present with the disciples, but he is also fully present with us, though not physically, fully. That what we know is the Spirit of God has come to live and dwell in us, right? And that that presence ought to call us to live and respond differently, because the truth is the same thing we prayed over Corbin is true for all of us, that God is present with us and he will never leave us. Now, maybe you're like me and you grew up in a church, and sometimes when people say that, you get triggered. Anybody else grow up in a church where Jesus being present with us all the time seemed kind of creepy? Because literally they would do like, hey, if you make out with your girlfriend, Jesus is watching. And you're like, why is he watching? Like, he should stop watching. Could he go somewhere else? Because I don't, it felt like Jesus is like the creepiest small cop ever. And he just like watches me all the time. That's not what Jesus' presence is about. So get rid of that thinking, okay? The truth is he's present with you and he's the one that made everything. He's the one with all the power in the world. So every meeting you step in, every crisis you step in, every moment of beauty you step into, he's present with you. And that's why observing beauty is really important. Kristen and I have a part of our routine is just to do sunsets as often as possible. And I just gotta tell you, the more sunsets I watch, the more I'm like, God is everywhere. Like God is there. Put your feet in the water of the Gulf of Mexico and just watch those waves come in and go, wow, God is so big and he's with me. It calls us into a deeper worship. Secondly, he says, the poor are always present with you. He's saying, he's not saying don't serve the poor. He's saying always serve the poor. 
The poor are always present and you can always respond. And during Advent, we ought to do that as a part of our worship. Now, I'm gonna give you a few opportunities. One is just to give in general to our Advent offering. Our Advent offering goes to bring clean water to people all across the globe in the name of Jesus. And we have people that are counting on us more than ever because the pandemic has brought us to a place that people need clean water, hygiene, and sanitation more than they ever had. One of the ways you can respond to that um, is that literally you can come here to this room on Friday. And on Friday, we've got something called wine to water. And um, you can literally, it's not on the, on the slide, but if you go to our website, ecclesiahouston.org, you can buy a ticket. You're gonna wanna buy a ticket because this event often sells out. And because it's in person now, uh, you can do that. We can come in this room and drink wine and raise money for clean water. Jesus turned uh, water into wine, and I don't know how to do that, so we're flipping it. And so we're gonna turn wine into water. It's the only thing we know how to do. And from that place, I can just tell you, um, it's the most fun event we have all year. And I will be here all night. And um, you can invite a neighbor and I would love to meet them. A lot of them would not come to church with you. Although post COVID, I'm convinced there are people that wanna come to church that you don't realize. But they would come drink wine uh, with your friends at your church. So we would love for you to do that. And we can do something good to serve the poor in that place. And then lastly, he just says, listen, this is a precursor of my birth. It's a taste of the sacrifice that I will make. He's saying, in just a few days, I'm gonna lay my life down and I will be anointed with the same kind of oils. They would literally embalm his body with some of the same oils. And he said, she's just kind of predicting for you what I'm going to do for you. And in the same way that Lazarus died, and I resurrected him, I'm going to be resurrected to bring a hope to all of you that death never has to be something to fear ever again. And it's in that place, Ecclesia, that I wanna invite you in this season to say everything else in your life is nothing but noise apart from the love of Jesus. And if you will focus in with me in this season on the love of Jesus, it will give meaning to everything else that you do. We're gonna come and do what we do every week and we're gonna celebrate the Eucharist. We've decided as a church that if every week we contemplate Jesus' sacrifice and his love for us, that it changes the way that we, literally, I'm, my hope is that you walk out of here differently. One of the things that was said in the nine o'clock service, somebody said, they, they watched someone give someone else a compliment and as they gave them a compliment, they saw the posture of the person change. Anybody seen that? Especially with a kid, you tell them, you're so smart. You're such a great reader. Like, they just literally like, I am? I'm a great reader? I've... And this is what you ought to experience when you come. When you take communion, Christ is saying back to you what he heard from Mary. You are so loved. You are so cherished. You are so important that I sacrificed all for you. And when you come to this table, I hope that you hear the words of Jesus in that way. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.